Welcome to Indisputable. I'm Sharon Reed in for Dr. Rashad Ritchie, been filling in all week, proud to do it. And back with us as the special guest co-host is the mayor of Enfield, North Carolina, Mondell Robinson. I have to visit your great city one day because, well, you're there and it just seems like that would be a happy place, okay? Competent, yeah. integrity, all of that, mayor. So we're very happy to have you. I should mention the Mail Voter Project, close to your heart, Rebel HQ as well. Um, so let's get into it, Mayor, because we're going to need every bit of your commentary today. We're going to begin with Defendant Trump trying to push back the DC election trial for years. How long? Well, we'll tell you. Lawyers for Donald Trump asked a federal judge Thursday to put off until 2026 a trial in Washington on charges that the former president plotted to overturn the results of the 2020 election. The suggested April 2026 date is a counter proposal to the Justice Department's recommendation last week that the trial should begin January 2nd, 2024. So they are years apart, folks. Court filing Thursday evening, Trump's lawyers say the years long delay is warranted because of the massive amount of information prosecutors have already produced more than 11.5 million pages. After review and because of scheduling conflicts with the other criminal cases Trump is facing, Associated Press with the reporting. And just, you know, another case seems to pop up every day. I believe we're at, is it four? Is it four, three state trials? Right? It's three, four. Okay. Somebody help me, Mayor. How many is it? Lost count. It's four indictments so far, and most of them are federal, but there are so many charges in each indictment. So while we only have four indictments, there's tons of charges, and each of them carry significant time for someone who's 77 years old, as the former president is. Yes, you're just such a gentleman, Mayor. You said only four indictments. Thank you for that reminder, but you're right. It is going to be, um, it's going to be a tough time for Defendant Trump. A special counsel now, Jack Smith's team. Expected to oppose the Trump team's request, which seeks to put off his trial until nearly a year and a half after the 2024 presidential election, in which Trump is currently the early front runner for the Republican nomination. Though the polling is, is changing a bit. Now, the question is ultimately up to, well, her. US District Judge Tanya Chutkin, who is expected to set at least a tentative trial date during an August 28th court hearing. Something tells me she's not gonna go for a two plus year delay, but we'll see. The tactic comes after Trump canceled press conference that he said would prove his innocence. On Truth Social, he posted this. Rather than releasing the report on the rigged and stolen Georgia 2020 presidential election on Monday, my lawyers would prefer putting this, I believe, irrefutable and overwhelming evidence of election fraud and irregularities in formal legal filings as we fight to dismiss this disgraceful indictment by a publicity and campaign finance seeking DA who sadly presides over a record breaking murder and violent crimes area, Atlanta. Therefore, the news conference is no longer necessary. We should put disclaimers up, we can try to get you figures, but you cannot take that to be, well, you can't take it wholesale, okay? I don't know that Atlanta has all that he's talking about. I live here, we'll get you the numbers though at some point. Just don't believe 
it says true social, we know, but you have to be clear here, folks. It's kind of like a gimmick at this point. This tactic, all Trump. Meanwhile, Trump ex staffer Mark Meadows is also trying to weasel his way through the court proceedings by attempting to remove his prosecution from Georgia State to federal court. Thinks he has a better shot there. So, how likely is it that Meadows will succeed in this? When the request for removal, Meadows' lawyers argue that because the charges against him concern his tenure as Trump's chief of staff, the Constitution's supremacy clause entitles him to remove the case to federal court. According to his attorneys, the conduct the DA Willis cites in the indictment, including contacting state officials on the president's behalf, falls within the normal scope of Meadows' duties in the White House. Uh, I want to pause there for just a moment, Mayor, because many are saying that this is ridiculous. But just I just want to focus on that one thing in the filing from Mark Meadows, where the lawyers say it falls within his duties, the normal scope of Meadows' duties in the White House. He might be right, Mayor. In this White House, alleged criminality is part of his duties. So. I- yeah, I mean, if you're gonna stay in Trump's good grace, you definitely will have to break the law for Trump. So that would be under the duties of the White House. However, the Constitution does not protect criminality. And what Meadows did, acting as a staffer for Trump, does not give him blanket immunity for any charges that that are not protected under his constitutional duties. And it's never constitutional for the president of a of our country to try and dictate who and who will not be electors, who and who will not vote. And I think that's the color of law that's missing in this claim. And it's why the bar is gonna be so high for Mark Meadows trying to move this case from Fannie Willis in Atlanta to a federal case. And I think you know we've already seen judges reject this claim from Trump's lawyers in other cases, trying to move this to different jurisdiction and also to dismiss cases saying that he was acting under his official duty as president. When in actuality, none of what he did was part mm. of his official duties as president. Well, there you go, making sense and being ethical again, Mayor Robinson. Uh, One last thing, the background law is not favorable, like the mayor said to these claims. That is because the allegations in the public record suggest that Meadows' conduct, namely his own and his support of Trump's pressuring of election officials in Georgia, was political in nature and not one that was or could ever be undertaken in an official White House chief of staff capacity. I mean, I can hear. Richard Nixon, and I don't even want to compare him at this point. Come on back, Dick. Uh, but I can hear him now saying, well, that's if that's the precedent. Then uh, hey, can I kind of roll back things? Maybe I wouldn't have resigned. Maybe I wouldn't have had to. Um, this, this argument though, and what the uh, pundits, the experts, the legalese are saying that, listen, this has got to do with political tactics and alleged criminality. Nothing to do with the law. Judge Chutkin already made it clear that she could care less about anybody's election, anybody's anything, including the government's, that if certain things continue, she even said, I'll speed up the trial. So your reaction to these, these filings seem desperate to me. Yeah, and I think this overreach sometimes plays against your, your defense when you get to court. People see this this 
this fluke or you trying to trick the government into moving this case looks it looks more than desperate it looks like your case has no legal standing and, and i think for me and someone who loves our democracy this is a great thing but for mark meadows and the other trump cronies they may be in a in serious trouble and i think they're starting to see that especially because they recognize that guess what even if trump somehow does win the next election these state charges will stand and there's no there's no way that a president can expunge or offer clemency for them so i think this is what's really frightening them at this case and and governor kemp already tweeted out uh, i guess it was tuesday whatever whenever trump was on truth social that there this election was not stolen here okay so don't look for a pardon from him and as we said georgia you can't even can't even really do that but i did uh, I've heard several pundits suggesting, and I happen to know a lawyer who was contacted by the Trump team, an excellent lawyer, who said, yeah, I'll take your case. Not on this one, it was another one of those four indictments. He said, but I need my money up front, okay? And I think we know why. He said, uh, he meant it, and it's gonna be a lot of money. And so I believe Mr. Trump moved on. My friend will perhaps tell me if he didn't, excellent lawyer. If you're ever in trouble here in Georgia or really anywhere, I'll give you his number, Mayor. But I suspect you'll never need it. You'll never need it. Let's move out to Hawaii, actually. Um, we're getting an update here and see how you sit with this one. Maui official who defended silent sirens has suddenly resigned. Head of the Maui Emergency Management Agency resigned his post on Thursday in the wake of, well, significant criticism for his agency's response to the Lahana fire which has claimed the lives of at least 111 people. Remember, they're still going through the rubble. Deadliest US wildfire in more than a century. Let's give you a reminder of the kind of devastation the fire caused. Residents suffered through this. It is just a- We're trying, man. Ah! Hurry the f on, Dad, be the horn. Oh, what the f dude? Be the horn, be the horn. <sighs> Now understand this folks, they were on their own. They were on their own. And if they made the wrong turn, these residents fleeing, children, grandmothers, parents. If they made the wrong turn, they probably didn't make it. There was only a certain way you could go. No silence, no nothing, everything snuck up on. It was just incredible. Maui County officials said in a news release that NEMA Administrator Herman Andaya had resigned effective immediately due to quote, health reasons. CBS News with that reporting. 
Given the gravity of the crisis we are facing, my team and I will be placing someone in this key position as quickly as possible. And I look forward to making that announcement soon, Mayor Richard Bisson said in a statement. And Diane made a statement to reporters Wednesday, and it's likely it was instrumental in his departure. When asked by reporters if he regretted not activating the sirens, and Diane responded, I do not. The public is trained to seek higher ground in the event that the sirens are sounded. And Daya said, noting that the sirens are generally used to warn of tsunamis or approaching storms. Had we sounded the sirens that night, we were afraid the people would have gone moko, mountainside. And if that was the case, they would have gone into the fire, Daya said. So that is the reason why it is our protocol to use WEA, Wireless Emergency Alerts, and EAS, that's the emergency alert system. WEAs are text alerts sent to cell phones, and the EAS uses television and radio, and Daya explained. Hmm. Well, the lack of notification about the wildfire, Hawaii's official government website lists wildfires as one of the hazards the siren alert system can be used for. However, with power knocked out in the area, no television or radio, residents reported receiving no text alerts or television or radio notifications. When the Maui wildfires broke out August 8th, residents said they were not evacuated. And none of the island's warning sirens sounded for evacuation. In a wildland fire incident, the siren system has not been used either in Maui or in other jurisdictions around the state. And Daya said, did he have a lack of experience? It is being questioned, folks. Was he the man for this job? CBS News learned that Andaya had no background in disaster response, none. Local news site Maui Now reported in 2017 that he was hired over 40 other qualified applicants. Andaya countered Wednesday that the claim that I'm not qualified I think is incorrect. He said that prior to taking the reins of the emergency agency, he served as deputy director of the State Department of Housing and Human Concerns. Spent 11 years at the Maui County Mayor's Chief of Staff position. His housing experience that he cites is a blow as well. There's so many people who are without, who don't know what tomorrow brings. It's just incredible. One more, the cause of the wildfires, we have to remind you, remains under investigation. Why Attorney General's office has also launched an investigation into the local government's response leading up to and after the fires broke out. Mayor, I read this and I was disgusted by the statement, the self-preservation. Maybe he's right, it doesn't sound like it, Mayor. I don't know why you wouldn't put all the resources out there for people desperate to save their lives. They're not gonna save their properties, but their lives. Why the self-preservation instead of saying, it's already being looked at. We're going to look at everything. And if I should have done something different, I mean, it's coming for you anyway. Be a person of integrity, no? Yeah, I think the self preservation speaks to his lack of experience, right? So if, if there were any questions about his qualifications, him coming out saying he did not feel that he should have warned people in every manner 
possible when we're talking about wildfires that have killed more than 100 people, as we already know. For, to be so confident in not using a service that your website, your own website, the state website explains that we use these sirens for wildfires. The fact that it's never been used does not, does not negate the fact that you should have used it in this case. When you have people while this, while this island is burning, still sitting at the beach, like if it was really a problem, the city would have used the sirens. So we have to say at that moment, I will not go on TV and stand against this idea that maybe we dropped the ball. So him being that arrogant to have this confidence speaks to exactly why he resigned immediately. And, and then it also, while it may not be criminal, this is some serious neglect that someone needs to understand that, you know, when their TVs are out, when there's radios not working, the EAA system is not enough to warn people when a fire of this magnitude is happening across the island. And to say that people would have went to the mountains had they heard the sirens is to say that people can't use their eyes, nose, and other senses. But who's going to drive into a fire as we watch these people driving to get away with it without the help of the government? So we have to understand that the government has a role to take in this, in this what I call a failure, systemic failure. And this person speaks to uh, what's wrong with cronyism. And while I say that is because his, his, if you look at his resume, it said 11 years as chief of staff for the mayor. And this position, we know that the mayor appoints someone for and then hire because the mayor is already talking about we're, we're gonna put somebody else in that position. So this looked like absolutely someone that was not qualified to do this work. And then on top of that, we need to be questioning the mayor, like why did he get this position anyway? Over 40 qualified applicants. What made this person with no qualifications right for this position? It's so important. You know the terrain out there. I don't know that we could have predicted the worst wildfire in a century. And all of these deaths, still, the numbers do not add up to the toll here yet. But you do mention the arrogance, Mayor. And I wonder when cronyism, as you said, over 40 other qualified applicants, you're the guy, you just happen to have been the mayor's chief of staff for 11 years. When does what appears to be cronyism turn criminal, okay? And if the mayor put friend, a loyalist, whatever, who didn't have the qualifications for such an important job in place, should he also be thinking about a new line of work? Just the question, I'll give you the last word. Yeah, I think you're right. This is that, and I think what happens when we don't look at systemic problems like this, where where cronyism can cause lives, then we we are we're doing a disservice to the people that we're supposed that we that we're elected to serve as mayor. If I appoint someone into a position that a police chief that's racist, then I should be held accountable for that, right? I tell people all the time, racist police are not the problem when mayors hire them. The problem is the mayor that let that culture can exist. So this mayor is absolutely should be following this person out the door. He should be resigning as well because this, this problem does not start at his level because a, a, re, a responsible mayor would have said this position can cause life, life loss. Mm. And it did in this case. And it's because of his decision to hire this person. Integrity, personal responsibility, the things that you're known for as the mayor of Enfield, North Carolina. I know you travel a lot, you're coming back home soon. I almost wanna dispatch you out there to have a one-on-one -on -one with the mayor. In Maui, to kind of talk him into something, reason with him, but he may not have the internal fortitude, if you will, to handle it. Green white. 
What they say on your shirt? I'm here. What they say on your shirt right now? What, what does it matter what I say on my shirt? What they say on your shirt? What it say on my shirt? It says F you. Okay. You feel me? Yeah. Get out. You know what this says on my shirt, homeboy? See what this says? It says crazy white boy, homeboy. You feeling that life? Then get the out, you scary ass Yeah, homeboy, get out. Yeah, you scary as fuck, homeboy. You big as fuck in there, right? You don't want that. <sighs> Where do we begin? You know, as he was asking the question, what does it matter? What's on my shirt? I had that other, there was another young lady that was in my head. It matters because you about to lose your job, okay? That's why it matters. Male Karen hurling a racial slur to man while on the job, wearing the logo. Viral video coming out of the metro Atlanta area. It showcases a man on the clock hurling the racial slurs at a black man at a freeway stop. The man in his car tries to make out the company logo on the man's shirt, speculated by an ex-user to be green watt lighting solutions. Now, we don't know if that's true. We're just letting you know that that's what's circulating. That is the speculation here, but we've not been able to confirm it. Maybe somebody will recognize this guy. We can tell you that in a matter of hours, that company has since received swaths of bad reviews, calling for them to publicly oust their employee. The man has not been named the company, nor the man have made any comments on the incident. Mayor, I'd like to start there again. We we're not able to confirm the company that was on the shirt. I want to know too. I don't want to do business unless he's out of there. Okay, it doesn't mean he's not going to go somewhere else. But I do find it curious that you know, as we looked and you know combed the sites, there's no statement from the company. If that were me, and that that's not my employee, I would have gone on camera. Would have got all dolled up and gone on camera to say, I just want to report to you. We're not interested in racists here either, and he is not our employee, nor was he ever. But that's just me. Um, they can handle it any way they, they choose. We don't know again, Mayor, we've not confirmed where this racist works. But go through the rest of the bravado here, if you even can call it that. Yeah, I mean, I think if people are not, people have been making comments about this person not being threatening. He doesn't look threatening. Um, his, his build isn't threatening. But I tell people all the time, his, his superiority, is in whiteness. His idea that he's threatening this black man has nothing to do with how he's shaped, his size. It's all about the whiteness that he has so proudly tattooed on his stomach. So this idea that he is not threatening, you have to forget the 400 years of white supremacy and the history of how dangerous it is for black people to stand up to this behavior, this bravado. This bravado is not based in him, him having faith in himself. It's in the system that he knows will protect him. So even if he is ousted, we know next the next day that he is found out and he will be found out because the internet will let you know who he is. There's gonna be a there's gonna be a GoFundMe for this man that's gonna pay him hundreds of thousands of dollars for being this racist. So I mean, while we know and look for justice, we still have to be aware that what we're watching is America and her whiteness and her her strong sense of security in said behavior. Yeah, I would like to see, and it's a slippery slope because I love free speech. Even fools have a right to it, but we all have to face consequences. I would like for GoFundMe 
don't know if it's legal to kind of say, well, you're not going to use this site to raise funds for someone like this. Um, we'll see, but I would hope that people could have a conscience. We've seen that some people do, a lot of people don't, and they would like to give their money, even if they only have a little bit, to this kind of cause. Because I think you're exactly right. We're going to figure out who this clown is eventually. I don't know if that was a gang sign, Mayor. Are you familiar with anything like that? <laughs> You don't, I know you don't have any personal experience, but I don't know if you've seen something or if some gang is spreading or if he was just, I hope he wasn't impersonating a gang member and throwing up a sign that he wasn't allowed to, because that would bring other issues. But I'll give you the last word on this, Mayor. He tried to be very frightening. The black man stayed right in his car, which I support. Doesn't make you a coward, makes you smart. Record. Yeah, I mean, because because what happens? You get out the car and fight this white man. Police come and then you get killed. So I mean, even even in defense of blackness and in defense of yourself, it is not smart if you're afraid or not to get out of a car on the highway when white people are involved and you're black because we know what America will do to you. We've seen it. It is the reason that black men that are between the ages of 18 and 24, the leading leading cause of death is by police officers, right? So it it is not smart to get out the car, not because you're afraid, just because. The likelihood that something's going to happen to you is really high in this country. I would go on to say that you know, here's what's funny: whether it was a gang, whether it was gang symbols or not, he he insisted or tried to invoke terrorist uh, terrorism and fear in black wow. black man. So we have to realize that there's something deeper at, at, at issue here. And, and where does this where does this comfort in taking off your work shirt and presumably a work vehicle and coming back and being as racist as this man is? This is deep seated, but it's also being empowered by some of our political leaders, one by their silence, and then also by people like Trump who was loud on it. And we have to acknowledge that. Oof, because he can, because he can, okay? And so why not be bold with it? That's exactly what's going on, and you are exactly right. Had authorities come, had this black man exited his vehicle, there's that scenario that surely would have played out. He's the aggressor, he's the threatening one, he might have lost his life. It's unconscionable, but it's another example of what's going on every day, everywhere. I just don't understand why you would say that, though. Because it's true. But what's true? You pick, you go into Kroger's and fill your basket no, no, up. No, no, no. Oh, wait you a said minute. I'm getting sick of you folks coming down. Oh, yeah, that, yeah. What, I, what, I, what? I have, who's I you folks? I don't understand. Every Muslim that comes in here steals from me. Every Muslim that comes in here just about, steals yeah, from you. That's right. Yeah. So that's and why you know, you're acting that, like this. And that's why you're going to pay. Oh, man. You you're know what? You know what's great about this conversation? But, well, tell me what's I, great about this, buddy. I will make sure. I hope you make sure that I nobody, will make sure. nobody ever comes here. Because that is racist. You're racist. Oh, of course I am. You're a racist. I'm so scared of you. Yeah. Like you, you don't realize who I am, but you're, you're still big. here, huh? You're big, big, big. Yeah, you're a big man. Yeah. Oh, you don't. I'm not. I'm not threatening. But I'm just telling you, you're threatening me. No, you I'm, said I hope. I hope these Muslims I, I don't, don't talk to ever come back here. I, I don't. Want That's to. rude, man. I don't want them here. I'm saying, like, why would I want to spend any money with you when you say that? Well, I, I don't need you. I don't need you, you neither. Cost, you cost me so much. Money. I don't need you neither, but you're so well, rude you and here? racist. Why are you here? Well, you know, I like to help local businesses out. Yeah. 
Well, we don't need you. Oh, I live here. Where do you live? Oh, I live right down the street. I own 30 acres. Where? Don't worry about it. Oh, you do. Okay. Yeah. I own 30 acres. Yeah. So don't sit here and act like that. Okay? You're just you're just racist, man. You know, you just take the... Uh, it's, it's just bad, man. I, I, I'm going to walk in there and tell everyone right now, don't buy anything from them. Go ahead. Seriously. Yeah. Because that is so racist, man. That's so bad. I can't believe it. Islamophobia, a real bigot, trash behavior, and owning it. Now, Karen Cider Mill owner caught right there, recorded. Ismail Karen, the name? Well, the owner is Steve Elzinga. Elzinga. Let's tell you a little bit more about the encounter. Ann Arbor resident. Joe Mahmoud pictured with his wife, recounted on Facebook. My family and I visited Erie Orchard Cider Mills, seemingly family friendly place to enjoy the day. We made purchases totaling around $70 before we inquired about you pick peaches. An employee informed the family there wasn't much available, but because his three young daughters were keen on experiencing the orchard. Employees said the family could explore without charge if they found anything in the orchard worth taking. Joe shared a screenshot from their Facebook stating if you peek on their social media, they also say they are out of you pick peaches. We found a bag full of mostly rotted peaches and apples. Our peaceful family outing took a turn as we were leaving. Elzinga, the owner, confronted us accusingly. He opened my vehicle door, began to rifle through our bags on the floor. And without any provocation, he stated, you people are always stealing. Shocked and willing to rectify any misunderstanding, I explained the information his staff had given us and that we were more than willing to pay for anything necessary. Why go there? Then to our horror in front of my young girls, began expressing openly racist sentiments, stating he didn't want Muslims at the orchard. All they do is steal and that he didn't need us to patronize his business. The irony, good number of the customers present were Muslim. There's more. How long till they get here? A couple hours. The police? Yeah, a couple hours. You said you called them? I called them. Well, when are they gonna come? Because I, I gotta go. I don't know. Okay. So are you holding me hostage here? I'm holding you until you pay your bill. So you're you're kidnapping me. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I'm basically that's what you're telling me. You pay the bill, you're gone. She got a fifty dollar bill. She pays yeah, a fifty dollar yeah, yeah. bill. Look. Okay, you're here. I, there's no way in hell I will give someone any money after I just when he tells me that he hates all Muslims. Why would I give you any money if you say you do hate Muslims? Did I say I hated Muslims? You don't want Muslims here in the business. All I want is Muslims here. Huh? Oh, because we're all thieves. No, that's what you said. But, we're, but we're this is why I have a problem. Well, don't forget it was rotten fruit. Rotten fruit from a rotten man. Rotten to his core, if you will. He continued to berate me, Facebook posting goes on from the family and tell me that I needed to pay him $58 a 
Mind you, we had a small bag of fruit, which is clearly posted inside as $2.49 a pound for you pick. I would have needed almost 24 pounds of fruit to equal $58. Joe assumed the employee had probably given Joe information he wasn't allowed to. But once Elzinga began his racist tangent, Joe handed over the rotten fruit and told Elzinga he wasn't paying for anything. Definitely not rotten fruit from a racist. Sounds good to me. As the man got super aggressive with his actions and as it became clear he had not called the police, I began to fear for the safety of my family. I told him I was leaving and I began slowly backing out to make sure he wouldn't get hurt. He then began to ram his shoulder into my truck. Keep in mind, this man had his peaches back. The only reason I didn't pay was due to his racist remarks instead of having a professional conversation over a miscommunication with his employee. Thankfully, I was able to get most of the interaction on film for proof. Let's take you to something else, an interview, CBS News, Detroit. Joe said, quote, I did not know what was going to happen. It was 45 minutes of just trying to get my family calm, while this man kept saying he was not going to let me leave, Mahmoud said. It was a frightful experience that has him now filing a lawsuit with Dearborn attorney Abdullah Magni. And CBS with the details on this one. Mahmoud says he hopes sharing his story will not only teach Zynga a lesson, but also show that any racism toward any group of people should not and will not be tolerated. It was a bad situation and I just thank God everyone is okay. But no family should have to go through that, no one, Mahmoud says. An official lawsuit is expected to be filed in the coming days. In an interview with CBS affiliate WTOL in Toledo, Zynga apologized and said, the incident does not, I can barely, this has to be wrong. The incident does not represent him. Mayor, I want you to just go, just go. Cuz I'm thinking of three girls watching this happen to their father in front of their mother. Yeah, and I think, you know, I think here's 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 what we do as people of color in this country. We actually pretend that nothing happens because it was not a violent incident. There's harm. The epigenetics of what happened to his kids, it doesn't just wash away. Those kids don't forget that traumatic experience of them being held there against their father's will, against their will, by this man who's sitting spouting out racist comments. I hate all Muslims, Muslims, or all Muslims that come here still. That is absolutely ridiculous statement. And we know it's without without grounds because look at his look at his actions. You came up and opened their car door, you came up and checked their bags. You're into, you already presumed they stole something and not considering that they had had a conversation with one of your employees who gave them permission to go into the groves. And we know that they didn't have 24 pounds of peaches. Which means this 50, this even dollars of 50, you owe me $50 without a scale without knowing what was taken, without knowing what was already paid for, and also without considering the conversation they have with your employees speaks to your hate for people of color. Don't tell me it does not represent you once you get caught on camera because you said it yourself, all Muslims steal from you. You said it yourself, you don't want him in there. You said it yourself, you don't believe he lives up the street and owns a 30 acre place. So I think this idea of being able to apologize once you've been caught makes no sense. But it also goes back to how far white men can go with their racism in this country without being checked. Yeah, he uh, pursued them, hunted them, uh, threatened. I don't know the legal definition, but it felt like extortion. Calling the cops, lest you pay me this shakedown money that he didn't 
even O. And then that last part, because I believe Joe Mahmoud, the Karen-esque of throwing his shoulders into the truck. Oh, Now you're hurt, is that it? Now you're hurt. He felt he had superiority, show me your papers type conduct, and it's reprehensible. We're gonna keep following the story, the lawsuit, all of it. We need to really, really look at what's happening across this country as we see and are obligated to remember that some of these monuments, most of these monuments actually, dare I say all of them have one purpose. And that purpose is to honor the Confederacy, which was formed for one reason and one reason only. That's to preserve Southern states' right to own black people. So when we hear that states from Texas to New York are currently passing or working on passing legislation that will protect these monuments, then we're obligated to talk about it and talk about that truth of how harmful both the intent and these actions are. So we see in a recent article, we learned that over the past decade, this article by USA Today uh, review found that legislators in at least 20 states have proposed more than 100 bills that would limit changes to the hundreds of Confederate monuments across the United States. And some of these statutes propose harsh financial penalties or even criminal charges against municipalities that remove these monuments. Others will create complex approval systems that ultimately let state legislators and state leaders decide the fates of these monuments. Now keep in mind that these Republicans are supposed to be state rights advocates or giving rights to those who are elected in these places to, to decentralize power, right? But in actuality, they're taking the power away from municipalities like my own and other municipalities that, that would remove these statues and saying that even though these statues were supposedly gifts from the daughters of Confederacy to you all, we see that you don't need to have that power because you are taking or removing these statues that we love and will continue. That USA Today article continues talking about attorneys, researchers, and legal experts say so much um, and such about these laws that don't affect cities control over these monuments. They are part of a large attempt to erode the power of blue cities in red states. It happens all across this country in states where Republican control legislators, this was said by a school who is, a, who is represented in North Carolina NAACP and, and monument cases. Like they, they are passing laws to control the urban centers which are democratically controlled. Here's what I would push back on this statement just a little bit. It's not just democratic cities that are like municipalities that are large and urban. I, I represent a rural district and we removed the Confederate monument. And we saw that even a democratic control, the governor was very light on what he was willing to do as it pertains to us. Sharon, what are your thoughts on this type of uh, you know protecting of these Confederate monuments? Well, I'm just struck by such widespread collusion that these just you know must be protected. In many cases, when you don't even know your history, like you know, we've had the issue with Stone Mountain here in Georgia for all these years. When did the the, the carvings go up? You know, these aren't protected artifacts, okay, Mayor? These are symbols to push back. These are symbols to say. Don't you dare vote. These are symbols to say you're never gonna get ahead and we still own you. And we can do what we want, we'll change the laws. You get too far out of the pocket, we'll just change the laws. So I'm just struck by how many, this isn't like a rogue thing. How many of these people get together and follow the same playbook, all geared to this kind of Jim Crow racist nonsense? Yeah, and I mean, I think, I think you're, you're spot on with that. And I also think that we need to consider 
the history of these monuments and when they went up, you said that. And that's an important part because most people think these happened right after the Confederate War, but that's not the case. The United Daughters of Confederacy who are responsible for most of these monuments around the country were acting in a, in a method to protect white supremacy, to protect antebellum South, and also to honor the Klan. People forget that part. You could not speak negative about the Klan. So I mean, and this is not something we're talking about out of context, right? I have an intimate, intimate interaction with the North Carolina law, particularly as I remove one of these racist statues myself. Um, let's take a look at this video. Yeah, I thought a Confederate in this town. We're just, we're just tied off right here where I tied that piece at. So in, in this video, what, what we saw was we actually saw the end of it, um, not me actually taking the hammer to this monument, this monument which stood in a public park that had on one side a white people only water fountain and also a 10 foot monument honoring Confederates in a town that's 90% black, the town that I represent. And what happened after we took this monument down, we saw the FBI show up in the town a couple of days later and start to investigate me, um, not not because the town owned the statue, but because I was a threat to white supremacy, the status quo. And we had a police chief that called the State Bureau of Investigation and said, hey, I think the mayor broke the law by taking this statue down. Um, it let, let alone after the statue was taken down, there were no, Sharon, no uh, investigation into the racism that came at me, the death threats that I received. And while even while the governor said that they were gonna investigate it, that the laws, it, it really, it didn't really happen. We still have on my desk in the office, in the town office, at my house, on my kitchen table, are uh, the threats still sitting in the same place when we received them. We saw the Klan, the same Klan, uh, the loyal white knights that planned what happened in Charlottesville. We saw them come to our community and leave our yard, telling white people they need to rise up against this uppity. And I don't need to finish the spelling because we know what they said. Um, and I think what happens is in this case. Um, we are reminded that this is not about statues in cemeteries to honor the dead. These are, this is, uh, if we look at what we know about uh, up until the 1880s, these Confederate monuments were placed in cemeteries, of course. But the decades after that war, talking about the Civil War and Reconstruction, they started get going up in front of courthouses and public places as a symbol of white supremacy. They actually uh, sending a message about who's in charge, right? It's sort of like a reestablishment of white control. Ultimately, what they want is not only for black men not to vote. This is the history of these statues, right? Not only for black men not to vote, but any sort of black elected official to be involved in government. And this was a statement by uh, Karen Cox on WRL. And we know that to be true. Like these statues had everything to do with the alienated of black uh, individuality, black power. And it was all about white control of the black body. And I think we don't talk about that enough in that context when we're talking about these monuments and the epigenetics of the harm that are associated with black people being obligated to go to a public park and see a statue that says, we are honoring the people that believe that you were supposed to be owned by another set of people. What's wow. that you share? Legal lynching, I'm very disturbed by what you are um, Relating your own personal experience, the death threats, the chief calling in the bureau to investigate you. It sounds way too close. And not that long ago, that legal lynching, God forbid, mayor would have been complete. It would have been complete. And the Southern Daughters, people need to understand 
They didn't just kind of accidentally, they set about to rewrite history, reframe slavery. There are still books in Georgia that were fed to classroom kids about how slavery wasn't so bad. And they just kind of sung and passed the time and made the day go quicker. It was all lies. A horrific, disgusting, vile, violent institution that they are trying to honor a period when you better, you better stay out of public office. Remember, there was a time in Reconstruction where people who looked like us were serving at greater numbers than today. It sounds like it's not what I just said is fact. And then, boy, they did rise up, didn't they, Mayor? And make sure that you shut up, know your place. And we will be violent if we have to, to keep you in it. Absolutely, and we'll use all the powers of the government, just like they're doing now, to protect white supremacy. And I think we don't, when we don't consider this long legacy of white supremacy and how the government, both at the state and also federal level, supports it, then we don't really talk about what affects, what affects it has on the black life and the black experience in this country. It's, it's in all areas, it really is. And it feels like there's no escape. When you just want to live, be free, be happy, raise a family, serve, whatever it is, Mayor, it really feels that there is no escape because it's in everything, including healthcare. It's in everything. We're treated differently, the disparity is real. We have an update for you on medical experts who call out the negligence of a doctor. Doctors have now weighed in on the tragic story of Jessica Ross and Trevion Isaiah Taylor Sr. Young Georgia couple filed a lawsuit last week alleging their child was decapitated during delivery by a doctor who used too much force during traction. Have you ever heard of something like this? Just, just let that sit with you. Have you heard of something like this? All I can tell you is what came to mind was how black young women were operated on without anesthesia. And that gave us modern day medicine and techniques today, gynecology, no anesthesia. Too much force, so much so that the child was decapitated. There's more. As we covered last Friday, the couple is now suing the Southern Regional Medical Center in Riverdale and the obstetrician, Dr. Tracy St. Julian, who is not employed by the hospital after she allegedly applied ridiculously excessive force trying to deliver the baby with shoulder dystocia. Okay? And I know. That she's a black woman. I also know that this institution that we're dealing with and the disparity in healthcare and everything else is just that. It is why we often see black officers on certain scenes not protest or even engage in vile activity. It's why. St. Julian's alleged tremendously excessive tension traction on the head and neck of Ross's baby named Trevion Isaiah Jr. resulted in multiple skull and facial bone fractures and hemorrhaging on his neck and brain around his spinal cord, according to the suit. 
While Premier Women's OBGYN St. Julian's practice did not immediately reply to requests for comment, Southern Regional Medical Center said in a statement that it denies the allegations of wrongdoing and that this unfortunate infant death occurred in utero prior to the delivery and decapitation. Hospital also said it voluntarily reported the death to the Clayton County Medical Examiner's Office and is cooperating with all investigations. The lawsuit says the couple was discouraged from getting an autopsy. The baby was already dead, nothing to see here in utero. You've got to be kidding me. You have got to be kidding me. How dumb do you think we are? How little feeling and love for our children do you think we have? Nothing to see here, no autopsy needed. You shouldn't get one. Well, there is more. We'll give you this recap. According to the lawsuit, Ross's water broke around 10 a.m., July 9th. She arrived at the hospital 10 minutes later. By 8.40 p.m., Ross was fully dilated and was instructed to push. However, the baby did not properly descend. Lawsuit says, most likely because of shoulder dystocia, which occurs when a baby's shoulder gets stuck behind the mother's pubic bone. NBC News with that reporting. Shoulder dystocia occurs in roughly 3% of vaginal deliveries. Typically happens to women who have reached full term, said Dr. Kara King, an OBGYN in Illinois, who is not involved in the case. You see the illustration there. Risk factors for shoulder dystocia include the mothers having diabetes or being short in stature. Ross 20 had been diagnosed with type 2 diabetes in July 2022. Her pregnancy was considered high risk, the suit says. Another risk factor for shoulder dystocia would be whether the baby weighs more than eight pounds, 13 ounces. According to the lawsuit, Ross's baby weighed seven pounds, six ounces upon delivery. While doctors are able to point out possible risk factors, should dystocia, shoulder rather, dystocia is not something that we can fully predict, Dr. King said. King mentioned that in her deliveries, risk factors like diabetes in a larger baby would typically prompt her to offer a couple a primary C-section with a goal of ideally preventing a shoulder dystocia. As per guidelines set out by the American College of Obstetrician Gynecologists. Dr. Joya Creer Perry, OBGYN and founder of the National Birth Equity Collaborative said that even in the moment the doctor, the nurses and other staff members should have agreed that the patient was deserving of a C-section. They could have changed course here, folks. You have to be agile and know what's going on and react accordingly, adapt a different strategy here to deliver a safe, healthy baby and keep the mother alive. No pivot. Queer Perry said she has used instruments like forceps and vacuums to help patients with the pushing, but that if they prove unsuccessful, C-sections are ordered. Dr. Creer Perry was not involved in the case either. Dr. Roderick Edmond, one of the couple's attorneys said nurses and other healthcare providers should have had protocols to deal with the problem. Ross and Taylor 21 asked for a cesarean section while the baby was viable, Edmond said. 
Instead, Ross pushed for three hours without delivering her baby, the suit says. The St. Julian tried to deliver it vaginally using different methods, one of which included applying traction to the baby's head. According to the lawsuit, fetal monitors showed an abnormal fetal heartbeat starting at 9.26 p.m. The heart rate continued to decrease until 10.36 p.m. There was no sign of a fetal heartbeat on the monitoring strips by the time St. Julian performed an emergency C-section at 11.49 p.m. More than in two hours after that heartbeat started to become abnormal. Baby's body was delivered at 12.11 a.m. 2020, the infant mortality rate during delivery in the US, 5.4 deaths for every 1,000 live births, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Additional data shows the rate was highest amongst black babies. 10.6 deaths per thousand, nearly double. While the way Ross's baby died is incredibly rare, can happen. They don't typically, King said. Family is seeking an undisclosed amount in damages for the baby's life, along with Ross's physical, mental, emotional pain and suffering, according to the suit. Since the incident, Edmund said the couple been in bad shape and are attending counseling because they have been psychologically traumatized. Millicent Rose, a trauma specialist, professor of clinical psychology at Pepperdine University, said, with medical trauma, we're really mindful that one of the things that can compound onto symptoms is when we know that it could have been preventable. It occurs due to negligence or at the hands of another person. Holding a child after birth is a rite of passage for any mother, fathers too. Robbing mothers of that opportunity after loss can cause prolonged grief. Central nervous system interaction between mother and child is Necessary for the mother's healing, regardless of whether the child survived birth, she added. The couple said in the lawsuit, they were unable to hold their baby. The hospital did not address why in its statement. This is so sad, it's pathetic, but it's emotional. I'm a mother. This scenario where the heartbeat was going down, I could not deliver. I needed a C-section and I had a great doctor who cared, Dr. Svets, who after a certain point, I wanted a vaginal delivery. That's what I wanted. She said, Sharon, we gotta get this beautiful baby out. It's gonna be fine, let's go now. A doctor doing what she was supposed to do. She had a team standing by in that emergency room to tackle any problem my daughter had. A great doctor helping out at the time, a news lady in that city. This is what happens every day, Mayor. It is despicable, I can't imagine what they're going through. But this is so real, it's real. Yeah, it's real and it's so much to unpack in this story. The history of how black people have been mistreated, maligned with our medical system. And people wonder why there's so many unbelievable black people, people who don't trust the, 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 the medical system or the healthcare system in this country. And then you hear a story like this.
The ideas, if you just look at the time logs in those stories that you were reading, the idea that it took them 10 minutes after their water broke to get to the hospital. That showed the due diligence and the readiness of them to have this child, right? But then they get to the hospital and they are forced to push for three hours. They being the mother forced to push for three hours when the C-section only took 20 some minutes. You could have saved this baby life and had that baby in the world from 920 to by, by 10 o'clock, that baby could have been in this world. Instead, you pushed and pulled on this child's neck so much that you decapitated that child. Then you didn't, that wasn't enough. You did something even more disgusting. You discouraged this family from seeing the child. You didn't let them hold the child. And you try to convince them that they need to have, they needed to cremate their baby that you had just decapitated. There's so much wrong with this. And the fact that there is a black body that was responsible for delivering this baby of this black woman speaks exactly to what you talked about. How white supremacy function because of black silence. There's always been black people willing to sit silent on black trauma and carry on the banneker and moniker of white supremacy. And this is an example of that. And it is sad that this young couple lost their child in this manner when they did everything. Side by side, they did everything they were supposed to do to deliver this child. And we see the negligence of this hospital, this doctor, and everybody in that room to, that allowed that child's heartbeat to slowly dissipate to the point that there was no life left. For over an hour, you watched that happen and you decided to do a C-session after, after. You were losing the baby, not all at once. It's It feels like Mayor. They didn't matter. They were pleading, these 21-year-olds, can we have a C-section, please? Why are you, I need to know the other circumstances here. Because not just the black body, the, the, the doctor, who else was in the room? Did someone not want to go to the ER with someone at dinner? What's the reason here? If we've done stories that C-sections happen too often and they should, be discouraged planning around and doing that kind of thing. This wasn't that case. I am heartbroken. It's not just a child gone, the method, the manner, the suffering. It's horrific. The parents left behind who need counseling. It's uh, it's just horrific, Mayor. I'll give you the last word. No, I, I mean, I, I, you're right, it's horrific. I, I, I'm at a loss of words. And I think you know uh, this story. I think you did a great job explaining what it means. I haven't. I can't give birth to a child, and there's no need for me to mansplain the pain. It's just the human nature of how disgusting this story is that bothers me. Junior, the father's hurting too. We'll keep following the story, the family's lawsuit. It's disturbing. An ex-cop now charged with tipping off her gangbanger boyfriend. Details here are pretty pretty tough. Crooked NYPD officer Jean Mestre has been charged for tipping off her gangbanger boyfriend Andrew Caballo Dunn and his gang, the shooting boys, to confidential police information, including a manhunt and witness details. Given the details of her history, this outcome becomes less surprising. It begs the question of how she was still on the force until last year when she left. So let's talk a little bit about that. Ms. Stray of Mohegan Lake in Westchester County joined New York's 
finest in 2013. She was assigned to the public safety unit at the 52nd precinct in the Bronx. According to public records, she had a checkered career on the job, nearly three dozen complaints, most for alleged abuse of authority filed against her. Five of them sustained the New York Post with the outline of her history. Maestri has also been named in at least 12 lawsuits that have thus far resulted in $765,000 in settlements. According to the records, by 2019, the alleged crooked cop was associating with Dunn and the shooting boys, even as the crew peddled fentanyl, crack, other drugs, and pulled off armed robberies and attacked rivals, the indictment claimed. The gang had been terrorizing the University Heights neighborhood since at least 2017. Serve and protect. Then comes the murder. Knowing her boyfriend ended a life, my street continued to tip him off to information that would help him evade justice. November 5th, 2020, Dunn shot and killed a rival gangbanger on Cromwell Avenue in the Bronx. Cops retrieved surveillance video of the shooting and launched a manhunt, with my street being one of the officers on the case, according to the indictment. She allegedly sent Dunn the surveillance video, gave him details about the efforts to catch him. Talk about being on the other side of this thing. Undercover agent, Nina Mestri, shamelessly exploited her position of public trust to assist gang members in her own NYPD precinct that were terrorizing the Bronx by committing robbery, murders, drug trafficking, and other acts of violence. That's from the US Attorney Damian Williams. She is charged with racketeering, conspiracy, conspiracy to obstruct justice, conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding, an accessory after the fact to murder in aid of racketeering. Top charge carries a maximum federal prison sentence of 30 years. Long before she allegedly took on a gang violent boyfriend, Mayor, she had all these other complaints. The public said, hey, this is happening. And you know how difficult it is for police and entity to be held accountable for this conduct. Five of them, yeah, sustained. Three quarters of a million dollars in payments. She was part of that mayor. Who's to blame? Other than this crooked cop. Yeah, listen. I think uh, you know. First of all, the what we're seeing is one thing, and this and this is how people use this as oh, this is one bad apple. This is not one bad apple. There were there were thirty plus complaints, and five of them substantiated. More we know that don't mean that the other ones are not really just couldn't be substantiated. Maybe people stopped trying or gave up on it. And who else knows what happens and how that happens when you're dating a gang member and what he said to them and your willingness to share information with them. I think we are we are witnessing. A point that can no longer be ignored when it comes to policing in this country. We are seeing time after time, this week alone, there's been four or five stories about police officers, crooked police officers willing to behave in this manner. And it's not just the ones that are being overtly criminal, 
It's the silence of the other because of that blue line you do not cross, you dare not break. And I think, and until we are really ready to deal with the idea that the way we police in this country is broken, it's systemically broken, not just because of how these individuals act, but because of the quiet ones that allow them to continue to police other people. Five things that cost the state or the city or the county almost a million dollars plus her salary plus her benefits is unbelievable to me. And the fact that she got to continue to investigate her own boyfriend speaks to the ridiculousness that which we call successful policing in this country. Yeah, you don't know who's working for you, who's who's supposed to serve and protect. It strikes me that during those occasions where CIA or FBI agent is caught spying treason, whatever the charge is, and there's some kind of inkling at some point, there's checks and balances along the way too, where you're subjected to over and over again, periodically, some surprise checks to make sure you're working for the right team here to uphold justice instead of your self interest, your boyfriend's self interest. It is so disgusting that this person, and and like you said, we don't even know if there were more complaints that people didn't feel comfortable even even putting in, okay? And would you with this kind of accused perp running around outing you? The other thing I thought of mayor because you know, the news in me has all these other stories in my head, but do you recall New Orleans years and years ago where they were working members of the police force with perpetrators and killers and you'd go in as a witness? Say, I did see this murder take place. And the next thing you know, you're dead. It reminds me of this kind of deception. And I think there has to be not just an investigation of this ex-cop, but we gotta see what else is going on here and how widespread it is, Mayor. Yeah, and I mean, we, we we have the groundwork to show that, like exactly like you said, not just New Orleans, but we see the goon squad in Mississippi this week just came out about what they did to black people, how they terrorized them and did all other types of horrible crimes, including molestation. We, we know about this, the LA County Sheriff Department that had his own gang inside of the police department that terrorized people. So we really do need to be policing the police in a way that does not allow cops to do it, but individuals, civilians to manage and over see this process because what's currently happening is not currently working. The FBI's arrested California cops involved in racist text. That's just the start of this thing. Federal prosecutors charged 10 former Antioch and Pittsburgh police officers Thursday with crimes ranging from fraud to excessive force to a conspiracy to distribute anabolic steroids. Culmination of a sprawling two-year investigation that required more than 100 FBI personnel to execute search warrants in multiple states. FBI rounded up and arrested most of the officers early Thursday morning. A series of raids across the Bay Area and as far away as Hawaii and Texas. This is widespread, okay? This is what's been nabbed, who else hasn't been? The most serious and disturbing charges, civil rights violations to injure, oppress, threaten, and intimidate citizens of Antioch were filed against two current and one former officer from that city's police department where residents have long complained of excessive force and where dozens of officers have been placed on leave amid a scandal over their racist text messages. 
So Mayor, as you said, here you have a solution, right? You said members of the public, civilians need to be listened to and need to lead this thing to uncover this filth. They've been complaining for years. Now the FBI comes and sweeps up some of it. Yeah, I think this is also a campaign against the mayor. The mayor's in charge of hiring the police chief. They're supposed to manage that staff. So they have a mayoral problem as well. That mayor should be fired. I think what happens is people wonder why there's no trust in policing. And then you hear this, if I was anyone that had been convicted because of these police, this police department, I would be looking for a lawyer right now to overturn those convictions. As we see racist texts, as we see systemic problems, although including selling drugs using police you know activities and also time it is absolutely scary to know that this exists not just in California but all the way from Hawaii to Texas and Pittsburgh this is dangerous beyond belief this is dangerous for sure and there's more mayor Antioch officers Mortiza Amiri Devon Wegner and Eric Rombaugh accused of plotting violence against specific people collecting trophies of their crimes and reveling in the aftermath of certain alleged crimes they're also accused of falsifying official reports to justify the violence and cover up their tracks. How often have we heard that? The indictment, for example, alleged that in February 2019, Amiri and Romboff talked about coming to work on a day they planned to take off to retaliate against a person who they believed had crossed a fellow officer. I'm gonna F someone up and hopefully get you a bite, Romboff allegedly told Amiri, an officer with a police dog who replied, Exactly, blood for blood, Mercury News with the reporting. Prosecutors say between March 2019 and November 2021, Amiri's dog bit 28 people. And Ramba deployed a 40 millimeter less lethal launcher at 11 subjects from November 2020 through August 2021. The records show that of the 28 bite victims, 19 were black residents, 68%. Via text, the indictment says the trio egged each other on to use violence and swap photos of people they had injured. One text, Wenger wrote, but we need to get into something tonight, bro. Let's go, three nights in a row, dog bite. Later that night, August 2020, Mary and Wenger pulled someone out of a car and took them to the ground. Mary later texted Wenger pictures of that injured person. Sounds like, they, they sound like Serial, you know, serial nature, criminal activity here. When there's a serial nature so often, perps want to collect something that gives them that high, that joy of what they did to their victims. That's what it sounds like. It sounds like that. There's more. Wenger also with former Antioch officer Danielle Harris was also charged with possession of and conspiracy to distribute anabolic steroids. Former Antioch officer Timothy Manley Williams charged with obstruction for allegedly interfering with an ongoing homicide and attempted murder investigation targeting an Oakland based gang believed to be responsible for several shootings. And Amiri along with former Antioch community service officer Samantha Peterson and former Pittsburgh officers Patrick Burhan and Brawley Rodriguez, Jalapa, Ernesto Juan Meja Orozco and Amanda Theodosi Nash were charged with conspiracy to commit wire fraud 
for training course cheating. They're accused of having someone else take the courses that qualified them for pay raises. Forget only the best people. It sounds like they're literally scraping the bottom and they are in charge of hunting you. Amiri, Romboff, Burham, Peterson, Rodriguez, Jalapa, and Meja Orozco all pleaded not guilty. Prosecutors agreed to release each of the men on $100,000 property bonds, provided they agree not to contact alleged victims, co-defendants, or witnesses to relinquish their weapons, to surrender their passports, and to agree to travel restrictions. Peterson was released without having to put up property. The most insane portion beyond the conduct of the story, Mayor, is the last. Those details from the Mercury News, just don't contact it. They were sitting up here conspiring to harm people, colluding in their violent behavior, falsifying police reports to make it look like it was all justified. Why on earth would there be bond for these men and women who are supposed to uphold the law in uniform? Make it make sense. I mean, we're talking about California, a place where property value is through the roof. So $100,000 is not even a house, it's a shed. So they ask, basically ask them to put up the equivalent of their shed to get out. No money, no money necessary, right? And I think this idea that these people would not be talking to each other when we already seen what their history is of colluding. Um, it's ridiculous. It, it seemed to me that the justice system just told them, go home and get your story together so you can ensure that you will not be prosecuted uh, to the fullest extent of the law. But we, we, we are obligated when you said to hunt you, it triggered something in me. And I hate to be the constant historian who always wanna talk about the beginnings or the origin stories. But I think it is, we are obligated to remember the origin story of police officers. The first the police departments in this country started in North Carolina in the 1790s as slave catchers, right? These were slave catchers that became, became police departments. And until we acknowledge that there's not really been any changing if we look at how they kill, who they kill, who the dogs bite, of who they're hunting, then we still see the racist nature that was once at the beginning and now still at the source and core of what policing mean in this country. That's why people, some are advocating, you have to bury this one for good and start birth something different that doesn't have its origins in slave catching. Okay, And as you pointed out, the conduct still appears to be in too many instances. The same. Um, I just enjoy the wisdom you impart always. You're just so knowledgeable and graceful and humble in your approach, a dedicated servant. We honor you. Tell people where they can find you, Mayor. Uh, physically, you can't find me. I'm always moving. <laughs> <laughs> but you can follow me on Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter, all of social media at Mundell Robinson. Well, we're going to see you. Again, I believe on Monday, so we look forward to that, Mayor. Thank you always. I'm Sharon Reed filling in for Dr. Rashad Ritchie. This is Indisputable. We'll see you next time.